the the subject of pas akum bread that was baked by a non-Jew. Uh, if you haven't yet seen the simonim in Shulchan Aruch of Kufyud base in Machale Akum, um, then today's discussion will be somewhat of an introduction to when you when you get to that point. But uh, if you've already covered that section in the in the year's curriculum, then it's a lot of what we're going to speak about today will be familiar. What we're going to take a look at specifically now is the evolution of this gzera, of this decree that the Chachamim made against eating pas akum, uh, more so than we'll be able to tackle some of the uh, some of the practical day-to-day -day aspects, but it will definitely provide some context for various customs and various various practices. So the the understanding of the history of how this Xaira came about is quite quite significant. We begin with the Mishnah in Avodazora on Daf Lamad Hay Amud Base where the Mishnah enumerates certain foods that the Chachamim forbade to eat. Although these foods are permitted from the Torah, there's no Isur, there's no forbidden uh, matter within them. Nonetheless, the Chachamim felt that at a certain point in history that people should not be allowed to eat these foods. And one of them was bread that was baked by a non-Jew. We find a similar Gomorrah in Masech the Shabbos. Also, a, a, uh, the Mishnah enumerates certain foods that the Chachamim forbade, one of them as well being pitan, the bread baked by a non-Jew. And the Gomorrah gives the reason here in Avodah for this prohibition that by not eating bread baked by a Jew, there would be a limit on the social interaction between Jews and Gentiles in such a way then that the social interaction will never become intimate because when one eats the bread of another in their home, when one uh, literally breaks bread with another and one enjoys their company, then that type of social intimacy will eventually result in intermarriage because it's only a matter of time before Jews become uh, embraced by the culture around them and embrace the culture around them to the point that all inhibitions are let and in such a way will result in fraternizing and intermarriage. And to prevent that at a time when Jews were welcome in an open society, the Chachamim felt the need to prohibit certain foods among them. A pasakum bread that was baked by a goy, which would create its own social uh, uh, separation in a way where Jews would be forced to eat their, their own bread prepared in their own kitchens or by their own bakers. And the types of uh, eating 
and dining together with non-Jews would never uh, get to a point where Jews and non-Jews would come to intermarriage, would come to that level of intimacy. In short, the Gomorrah says the reason for not eating pasakum is chasanus, because it may lead to uh, marriage, which is the direct result of a very close and intimate bonding together with one's society. So that much we do see from the Gomorrah. Before we come back to this Gomorrah in Avodah Zorah, let's skip to the Rishonim, the way that they've understood the limitations on pas, on, on bread, and how the, 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 the final halacha looks. And then we'll go back to the Gomorrah and we will start to then analyze the, the chronology of this Gzeira, how it developed. So we move to the Rishonim. And the Toysfus maintain that this Gzeira, this prohibition against eating Pasakum was not widespread. In fact, it didn't gain traction amongst all communities at the time that this gzaira was made because it wasn't possible for every community to adhere to this gzaira. In other words, nowadays we are so used to uh, buying bread and all the uh, modern equipment that we have at our disposal for making bread makes the process somewhat flawless. However, bread baking by nature is actually an art form. It's not so simple to get the right balance of ingredients, to get the right temperature in the oven, especially when it's a wood oven, in order to make sure that the bread is baked thoroughly. Uh, not everyone in the past had an oven. Not everyone in the past had the, the know-how to bake bread. And because bread is such a staple that society could not live without it. So when the Chachamim made the Gzeira and they forbade Pasakum, certain communities were not in a position they could not af afford to set up their own bakeries. And they desperately needed their non-Jewish bakers to provide their, their source of sustenance. And so according to the Toysfus, the Xera was not widespread to begin with. And the Toysfus cite some communities in their time, which must have been in France and Germany, that were also lenient and permitted their, their communities to purchase bread from uh, non-Jews, irrespective of whether those non-Jewish bakers were professionals or whether they were uh, householders. And we find a similar sentiment, which is mentioned in the Rosh, that there were certain communities outside of Israel that had adopted or had not adopted this prohibition of Pasakum and were therefore eating bread that they bought from their local bakeries or their local suppliers uh, quite freely. 
That is one school of thought amongst the Rishonim that the prohibition of Pasakum was not widespread and locales, places that did not accept the Xayra to begin with, continued to purchase bread from whatever suppliers were possible. Another school of thought, though, is that of the Rashba and the Rambam. They held something very similar. There was a, a slight difference, which I'll point out in a moment. The Rashba and the Rambam held that the Xayra of Pas, this prohibition against eating a goy's bread, was indeed at one point widespread. It did take on. However, there was some sort of leniency at some sort of time in history which permitted for Jews to buy bread which was baked specifically by a palter, by a nachtoim, a professional <coughs> who was baking bread to sell to the public and not a householder who was baking bread for his own home that he was prepared to share and sell parts of to the Jewish community. So it was specifically a palter that was permitted and only only in a city or in, a, in, in an environment where the only bread available was that of the non-Jewish bakers. There was no kosher bakery, Jewish baker or Householder, Jewish householder, who was an expert bread maker to provide for the Jewish community. It was only in time, uh, in a situation of great desperation, where there was no alternative that Jews could purchase paspalta, a professionally baked non-Jewish, uh, non-Jewish supplied bread. The slight difference between the Rambam and the Rashba, though, is that the Rambam maintained that the situation had to be exceptionally desperate, meaning that only when there was no Jewish baker available and only when it is basade, only in outlying areas, in rural settlements, where there, there are no concentration of Jews and a Jewish community or a, a, a possibility where there is a possibility of going to the nearest Jewish neighbor to make an arrangement to bake and pick up bread, it has to be only in a situation where the Jewish householder is really stuck in the middle of nowhere and the, 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 the closest human habitation would be a journey of sorts and the only available bread in the nearest vicinity was what the non-Jew was providing only then, according to the Rambam, could one partake of paspalta, could one in, uh, enjoy a Gentile baker's bread. But if it was ba'ir, if it was in a, an urban setting where there was a settlement and where Jews were close enough to one another, where they could make some sort of arrangement, albeit inferior to buying their bread from a non-Jewish baker, still they were uh, they were obligated to do so. So the Rambam held quite uh, quite a narrow leniency that it was only 
in outlying areas where getting hold of or making a plan was impossible, that the only alternative, which was paspalta, was permitted. However, the Rashba has a slightly different view to the Rambam, although he agrees that it is only a professional baker that one can buy bread from. Nonetheless, even if it was in the city, even if it was in a setting where it was possible to make a uh, make an arrangement amongst the Jewish neighbors to get some sort of uh, bread, still the community did not have to settle for any arrangement as long as there was no Jewish baker in town the community could avail themselves to the non-Jewish baker. And it all depends on the presence of a palta Yisrael, whether a Jewish baker is at hand or not, according to the Rashba. Okay. So again, just to run through these three opinions, according to Toysfus and the Rosh, number one, they hold that the Xera, the entire Xera, only applied to places that accepted the Xera to begin with. So therefore, places that did not accept this, uh, this prohibition of pus availed themselves to any type of bread that they could get their hands on. And even if a Jewish baker was available, if those places did not accept the Xera of pus, those places were not bound by any of the limitations. And they availed themselves to bread baked by a non-Jew, whether he was a professional or not. It's as if the Xerah does, does not exist in those places. The second opinion is the Rambam, who is the most stringent of all, and he holds that the Xerah is effective and that one cannot purchase bread from a non-Jewish baker unless there is no other bread available. And it has to be that it's impossible to band together with other Jews to make an arrangement, or even with non-Jews to make an arrangement for Pas Yisrael, it has to be that desperate. And the third opinion is the Rashba, who also holds that the Xera was widespread, that every community accepted the prohibition against eating Pas Akum. However, where it's impossible to get hold of Pas Yisrael, then a non-Jewish baker may be, uh, may be approached but as long as there is a Palti Yisrael, as long as there's a Jewish baker in the same area, then uh, even the Rashba would maintain that one would be duty-bound to uh, buy one's bread from the Jewish baker. These are the three opinions in the Rishonim, and these form the basis of the Halacha. We'll skip to the Halacha, and then we will come back to this Gomorrah again and uh, explore the genesis of this Xerah. The halacha comes out as a dispute between the Mechaber and the Ramah. And the way that it is presented in the Shulchan Aruch at the beginning of Simon Kufyud base is not really clear-cut. It's not as if the Mechaber says, this is what the halacha is, and the Ramah argues and says, no, this is what the halacha is which we usually find uh, in the debate between the Mechaber and the Ramah, where the Mechaber will state the halacha, and if the Ramah disagrees, he will say, yes, Oimrim, he will respectfully demur. It's not like that. 
the the presentation of this halacha is somewhat spread out, and the the mechaber uses the phrase yesh mekoymos. So yesh, there are those places. There are those as if to imply that it's all either time sensitive or uh, community sensitive. And then right at the end of Siv Ches, the Mechaber says, but then there are those communities who are most lenient, and then the Ramah says, this is how we hold. So for clarity's sake, which, because it is it is a bit of a discussion, even amongst the Sfardi Achroinim, amongst the Ziv Chetzedek, who was uh, one, one of the Sfardi Achroinim, um, it's not so clear-cut. So therefore, for clarity's sake, we will just resort to the words that the Mechaber uses, and we will say it as, as follows. The Mechaber holds like the Rashba. In Shulchan Aruch, the Mechaber maintains that if a Jewish settlement does not have their own Jewish baker amongst them, then they may employ the services of a non-Jewish baker, but it is only a palter. It has to be a professional who is selling bread and not baking it for his own home use. And the rationale behind this is a palter, a, 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 a professional, is not someone who's selling bread in order to encourage people to eat with him. He is not looking to socialize through the medium of selling his wares to the public. He's just in for the business. This is his source of income, and customers will come and go. And through purchasing bread from an institution, Jewish people are not going to become socially connected to that institution and there's no fear anymore of real fear of chasnas, of intermarriage, as the customer is not going to become uh, intimate with the institution that he's supporting. And even if it is in an urban setting where arrangements can be made, the Mechaber holds as well that in the absence of a professional Jewish baker who can provide bread which is nourishing and sustaining, and palatable to the public, they may indeed purchase their bread from a non-Jewish source, provided, of course, that it is an institution and that is a, it is a, uh, a, a commercial institution that is providing the bread. The Ramah, however, holds like the Rosh and like the Toysfus that places that did not take on the Xera to begin with, that never accepted the, the onus of abstaining from Pasakum, those places may continue as they were to purchase bread from whichever source they can get their hands on. Even if a Jewish baker is available, the towns, the, the, the community, the Jewish community can still purchase their bread from a non-Jewish baker or even a private non-Jew. And communities that have, that took on the Xera, that 
they may not uh, that that Pas was forbidden. Those communities may not even uh, avail themselves to Pas Palta to a bread that is provided by a commercial baker, because once those communities have accepted the prohibition against Pas against uh, eating bread baked by a non-Jew, it applies to every non-Jew irrespectively. That will be our initial understanding of these three opinions in the Rishonim and the Machaber and the Ramah respectively. This may be subject to a little bit of change after we go back and analyze the, the, the origins of this Gzeira and the application. So now that we've outlined the prohibition, let us step back again into the Gomorrah and now trace the, 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 uh, the, the genesis and then the evolution of this Gzeira. The Mishnah in Avodah Zorah mentions that one of the things that the Chachamim prohibited was bread baked by a non-Jew. The Gomorrah in Avodah Zorah opens up and it opens up the discussion with Rabbi Yochanan. It was, uh, yes, it was Rabbi Yochanan. And this is already a, even before we begin, this is already a clue that we are now in the Amoraic period where this statement was made. We haven't found anything up until now in the Tanaic period, which indicates that there was room for lenience or that this Xera was, uh, was subject to some sort of scrutiny. It was now in the times of the Amoraim that we begin to look at the Xera and now we start to trim and, uh, and, and question. Rabbi Yochanan claims that there were people in his time, there were communities in his time that did not keep this gzeira of Pasakum. And there were Jewish communities that were purchasing bread from non-Jewish bakers and from non-Jewish sources. And Rabbi Yochanan himself comes out with a statement that although there were communities that were eating pasakum, this was not something that was hutra bebezdin. There was no official uh, recanting or re, uh, repealing of this gzeira that we can find in the times of the Mishnah. The Gomorrah then seeks to clarify that maybe it was Rebbe who questioned the need for having Gzeira of Pasakum. And the Gomorrah rejected all of those citations from Rebbe that Rebbe, in fact, did not mean that the Gzeira of Pasakum needed to be, needed to be uh, uh, revoked, but rather Rebbe was making statements that could have been construed or misconstrued as him saying this. And then the Gomorrah comes to a conclusion with Rabbi Chelboy and Rabbi Yochanan, again Amoroyim, who maintain that if there is room for leniency, it is only if it is a palter, a professional commercial supplier of bread that is not Jewish, and that is basade, 
that it's in dire circumstances, which is outside of uh, urban settings or uh, not close by urban settings where bread can be procured. How the different Rishonim make out the, the flow of this Gomorrah is that the Toysvus and the Rosh and all those who maintained that the Gzeira of Pas was not widespread, they see it as the first half of the Gomorrah saying that when Rabbi Yochanan noticed that there were communities that weren't keeping the Gzeira of Pas and were purchasing their bread from every source they could, this is an indication that the origins of the Gzeira, at least in Amoraic times, had become such that it was up to communities to decide whether they were going to keep the Gzeira or not. And it is from here that the Toysus and the Rosh derive that if a community did not take on the Gzeira of Pas, so be it. That community could eat Pas Akum freely without uh, without impunity and without even needing to source from a palter, from a professional. However, from the latter half of the Gemara, where Rabbi Chelboy and Rabbi Yochanan Amoroyim mentioned that if there is room for a leniency, it has to be a professional, a commercial baker that's providing bread. That is where the Rashba and the Rambam derive that the only leniency is for a paspalta in the absence of a Jewish baker and according to the Rambam, in the absence of other Jews altogether. So after the, the, entry, the, the, the presentation now of the Rishonim, the Halacha, the source Gomorrah, and where the Halacha is sourced in the Gomorrah, let's take a step back and analyze and question some of these texts a bit and clarify uh, some, some points that are, are in, in a way very difficult to understand. So we need to understand the basis of this machloikas between the Rambam and the Rashba on the one hand and the Toysvus and the Rosh on the other, how it came out as two polar opposites really that according to the Toysvus and the Rosh, the, there were communities that never accepted this prohibition to begin with. And according to the Rambam and the Rashba, there's no choice. Everyone has to keep it, but under certain conditions, one can, one can be relaxed. How did they get to their various conclusions? In addition to that, we have several questions on the Gomorrah and the Halacha itself. The first question, the obvious question on the Toysvus and the Rosh, who maintained that there were certain communities that did not adopt the Gzeira of Pas Akum to begin with, raises the question of really, uh, since, since when was there a democracy in choosing which Gzeiras of the Chachomim to accept or not? The Torah states that when the Chachamim prohibits something that in the times at the certain at certain times in history, whether it was Ezra and his Bezdin 
whether it was Rabbi Huda Hanossi and his Bezdin, whether it was Rabbi Yochanan bin Zakkai, whether it was at the beginning of the Second Temple period or in the Mid-Temple period or Tanaic period or even Amoraic period, that when these Chachomim instituted certain prohibitions, it's not really up to the public to decide whether they're going to accept them or not. Surely the Torah has laid down that whatever the Chachomim have mandated, that is what needs to be kept. So how could it be that certain communities were left to decide whether they would adopt this uh, prohibition of pass or not? That's the first question. The second question is, according, again, according to the Toysvus and the Rosh, that there were certain places that did not accept the Gzeira of Pas. And the Toysvus and the Rosh themselves testify that in their time, in the time of the Rishonim, which is between the 1200s and the from the 1100s through to the late 1200s, that there were communities in Europe that had not adopted the Xera of Pas either. And the Ramor, who mentions that that was the custom in his time as well in Poland, it becomes a bit of a mess now because those communities that built up only after the close of the Talmud and only uh, centuries after the time that the Xera was already made, surely those communities that had come from places that had accepted the Xera and now reestablished themselves in Europe, surely they were duty-bound to perpetuate the, pro the prohibition that they had already accepted. Those communities did not exist at the time of the Xera. So where was the latitude for later generations to toy with this Xera? Surely, when the Xera was made, that was when the communities adopted or rejected, not centuries later after those communities had relocated. So that's the second question. How do those communities in the times of the Toysvus and the Ramor justify their acceptance or rejection of Xera, which was far beyond the time, the time frame that was given to these communities to choose. And then the third and final question is, when we look through the Gomorrah, it seems just the style of the Gomorrah is that it seems that the Gomorrah is hard pressed to find an actual Tanaic uh, ruling on the matter of revoking and rescinding this Gzeira of Pas Akum. And every attempt that the Gomorrah makes to, to demonstrate that there could have been a revoking of this Gzeira, the Gomorrah rejects afterwards as being, uh, as, as being mythical. So how is it that after finding and exploring, exploring and not finding any valid reason or source for this Xera being, uh, being rescinded, does the Gomorrah come out to the conclusion now that there are limits, you, uh, that uh, the, the, the Xera of Pas exists, but there are, are leniencies as well when the Gomorrah has shown that 
no such leniencies uh, ever existed in the past. So we need to understand how the halacha emerged from a Gomorrah that continuously rejected the notion of any uh, any adjustments being made to the Xera. So in order to answer these three questions, we need to take a look at the chronology of this Xera, where it began, why it started, and how it could have come to pass that such a Xera underwent so much, uh, so much uh, adjustment. The following is based on the Rashba in the Torah Sabais, but it's also based on the Me'iri and his commentary to Masechta Avodah on the Sugya, if you would like to, to look it up. Before we come to this Gemara, and before we even attempt an answer, let us begin with something else altogether, which is a question that was posed to the Churas Shai. He was a Rov in Hungary in the late 1800s. And the following question was, the following Shaila was posed to him. I don't know if you've studied uh, Kuf, uh, Simon Kuf Beis yet on Davos Shieshloi Matirin and uh, Mashahu, but we all know that Chomets is not bottle on Pesach in any amount. No matter how much heta food one has, if a tiny fragment of Chomets falls into a pot and cooks together with food over Pesach, even beyond 60, that entire part has to be discarded. Now consider the following conundrum. In Europe, all of the wheat mills, all of the mills and uh, uh, places to grind wheat were powered by water. The water would turn the mill wheel, which would grind flour, and so all of the mills were stationed along the banks of rivers, which would lead to the following problem, that over Pesach, whatever wheat dust was, uh, was, was blown out of the wheat mills, whatever surplus or leftovers of grains would fall out of the wheat mills into the rivers nearby, would result in fragments of chomets falling into the body of water, which was the, the source of water for, for drinking in those various shtetls that were positioned along the banks of a river. So the question was asked to the Churashai, how could communities draw water from their rivers over Pesach, where there was chomets in the water and any fragment of chomets is never bottled, it would be somewhere within the water and any tiny amount of that chomets that had fragmented into the water would not be bottled. So just evidently, it was because of this question that many communities had the Khumra to draw all of their water out of the local river before Pesach, store it in barrels, and only use that stored water where wheat dust had not landed in over Pesach. But for those communities that 
took water, took fresh water daily out of the local river, why could they do so? Was there no fear of uh, chomets that had tainted the water? And this was the answer that the Chura Shai provided. All these surim, as we know, all forbidden foods are bottled from the Torah in majority or in 60. It is only Midrabanon, only certain foods and certain types of Isurim rabbinically are not bottled. And Chomets Bamashuhu, Chomets is one of those. Minatoira, strictly speaking, Chomets is bottled. If you're not eating the Chomets over Pesach, if it's overwhelmed by 60 times its amount, then it's bottled, it's disappeared all, for, for all intents and purposes. However, it is rabbinically forbidden still. And it was the Chachamim that wanted Chomets to retain its identity, no matter the amount. However, the Chachamim, in their wisdom, were also pragmatic. And where a Gzaira, where a prohibition becomes impractical and it becomes oppressive, and it reaches the point of ad absurdium, then in those circumstances, the Chachomim would relax their gzera, their prohibition. And it is for this reason that all the wheat dust that blows into the, into the local river over Pesach would definitely be bottled b'shishin. That wheat dust would disappear. And as to the Chumrah de Chomets, as to forbidding the consumption of that water over Pesach, it would be something ridiculous it would be somewhat even of a mockery to take that extreme approach not to drink water for the entire Pesach because of the remnants of Chomets inside it. And in those situations, the Chachomim did not expect communities to enforce their Xeras. And a similar concept presents itself here in our discussion about Pas Akum. As we mentioned earlier, bread baking is somewhat of an art form. And it is a necessary art form because without the, 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 the proper nutrition, and today we may have many alternatives, but in ancient times, bread was really the, the, the highest source of energy, the, the, uh, the carbohydrates and the the fact that bread was easy to digest and that it was filling and nourishing made bread a staple. And so the Chachomim, who forbade Pasakum, bread that was baked by a goy, forbade for a reason, of course, to prevent socializing and interacting with non-Jewish communities to that extent. However, the Gzeira had to be pragmatic as well. Because the Chachomim were prohibiting the most important food available, it was only in circumstances where those communities could keep to this gzaira. In a way, it was like what one can call a luxury gzaira. Only in circumstances where communities could afford to adhere to this gzaira was this gzaira mandatory. And therefore, we find that some communities accepted the gzaira, stronger Jewish centers 
in Israel, strong Jewish centers in the diaspora, places like Machoza, Sura, Pumbedissa, which were Jewish centers where there was always bread available, those places could well afford to accept the Gzeira. However, the outlying areas and rural areas and, agri and uh, agrarian uh, settlements of Jews were not as fortunate. And if they were to accept the Gzeira of the Chachamim, it would have meant starvation. And the Chachamim did not expect those areas to accept the, their Gzeira. And in fact, Tosfos worded in such a way that it was it was a Xera that was not going to be pragmatic for most communities in the outlying areas. And so during the Tanaic period, whether it was Rebi or Beis Dinoi, it was uh, Rabbi Huda Anossi, or even earlier, that enacted the prohibition against eating a Gentile's bread, in the Tanaic period itself, there were communities that were unable to keep this gzeira. And in those places where they could not uh, procure bread, the gzeira made allowance for those communities to continue to buy their bread from a non-Jew as a gzeira cannot be oppressive and uh, impractical and demand what is in fact impossible for the, the for, for be, and what is beyond human capacity. So those communities were well within their right not to accept the Xera, and that is part of the uh, part of the canon of and part of the mechanisms of Xera of the Chachamim who made Xera in their uh, uh, in their capacity as uh, legislators of Xeras that the Chachamim did provide latitude for places that cannot uphold the Xera to be lenient. What we find then at a later point in history, during the times of the Amoroyim, during the 300s and 400s, we find that this Xera was not widespread. And the question then turned to whether this Xera was not what the Miri calls Xera Batos, perhaps it was a Gzeira that should be revisited. And during the Amoraic period, the Chachamim did in fact revisit the Gzeira and looked at the weighing up the, the tension on the one hand between Pasakum, where if Jews were to eat a non-Jew's bread, and it would lead to socializing that there is a threat of intermarriage. But yet, on the other hand, it is bread that we're, that we're prohibiting. And so how did the Chachamim weigh up and then deal with the tension between these two extremes? And it is here that we find the Machloikas, this uh, disagreement between the Toysus and the Rosh on the one hand, and the Rashba and the Rambam on the other. According to the Rashba and the Rambam, we'll start with that. According to them, during the Amoraic period, the Chachomim of the time revisited the Gzeira and they adjusted the Gzeira 
to now apply to all communities where there was no longer a, an option to accept or reject, every community must now uh, eat only bread that is baked by a Jew. However, communities that cannot get, uh, get hold of Jewish bread, baked bread are allowed to eat paspalta. They can eat bread that is baked only by a commercial supplier of bread. And that will prevent intermarriage. And at the same time, will provide Jewish communities with their, with their sustenance. So that is how the Rashba and the, Ran, and the Rambam understood the way that the Chachamim weighed up the tension between intermarriage on the one hand and starvation on the other. The Toysus and the Rosh understood it differently. They saw, the Chachamim saw, that this Gzeira was not one that could apply to all communities equally. And therefore the Chachamim made the Gzeira conditional. That this Gzeira was always going to be subject to time and place. That if a community was strong enough to provide their own Jewish bakers and that the bread would be adequate for their communities, then if that community so chose to adopt the Gzeira of Pas, so be it, and that community in that city must now continue to respect the prohibition of Pasokum. However, should Jewish communities form in areas where it's impossible to get hold of Pas Yisrael, then those communities may shed the Gzeira and may adopt their own leniencies depending on whatever uh, whatever facilities those communities had available to providing themselves with bread. And so according to the Toysus and the Rosh, the Xerah was made conditional. Every community could evaluate for themselves and they could reevaluate over time, depending on their circumstances, depending on whether past Yisrael would be readily available. And so with this, we can answer all of our questions we can understand, first of all, what the basis of the Machloikas is between the Toysus and the Rosh on the one hand, the Rambam and the Rashba on the other. The basis of the Machloikas is when the Chachomim during the Amoraic period, so to speak, went back to the drawing board and revisited this Gzeira of Pas, how they then reconfigured it. According to the Rashba and the Rambam, the Chachomim created a blank prohibition that all communities may not eat pas akum. However, pas palta was permitted if they needed. Whereas the Toysus and the Rosh understood that when the Chachomim revisited the Xera and they reconfigured it, they made the Xera conditional based on the reality that confronted them. That there were communities that accepted the Xera originally, there were communities that could not afford to accept the Xera. And so that pattern was canonized eventually that each community would from then onwards decide for themselves whether they were capable and uh, in, in a position to adopt the Xero or not. With this in mind, we can answer the questions as well. The first question was, is there a democracy in accepting or rejecting Xeros of the Chachamim? And the answer is obviously not. The Torah 
told us quite clearly that it, uh, we're, it, uh, we are duty-bound to the, the edicts of our Chachomim. However, part of the mechanisms of making a gzera or legislating new, new laws that the Chachomim did legislate was that the laws should be pragmatic and that those laws should be, uh, should be practical enough to keep. But in situations where the law becomes, uh, uh, it, it, where it becomes overbearing and it becomes impossible to keep, then the Chachamim did not extend the exeris to those situations, which is what happened with PAS. It wasn't that the communities chose to accept or reject, but they were given the right to accept or reject based on the nature of the Xera. The second question was, what about the communities of the Toysvus and of the Ramo in Poland that were not around at the time of the Xera to adopt or reject? The answer to that question is that, according to the Toysvus, the Rosh and the Ramo, the Xera of Pas itself was conditional. And it was a Xera that was meant to be fluid. That every generation, when they set up communities and those communities appraised their situation and saw that they were capable of, of keeping the Xero or not, those communities would be able to decide for themselves. And so it was in the times of the Toysvus that their communities in France or Provence and the communities in Poland that the Ramal was talking about had reached a point where they needed to scrutinize and uh, see the merit of keeping the Xero of Pas in their, in, in their communities, which they had every right to now decide to adopt or, uh, or reject. And the third question which we asked was, uh, we see that the Gomorrah itself is reluctant to provide any leniency. So where do the Rashba and the Rambam come out with the leniency for Pas Palta? And the answer is, that in the course of the discussion, the Gomorrah does come to a conclusion that the Xero was revised, and the way that the Rashba and the Rambam saw the, re, the revisitation of this Xero was to reconfigure it in such a way that it permitted only purchasing bread from a palta from a non-Jewish baker where no other source of bread was available. So where this leads us to, in conclusion, is that according to the Mechaber and according to the Sephardi communities, the Gzaira of Pas was a Gzaira that started out prohibiting all non-Jewish bread, but ended up eventually as being prohibiting just Pas Balabais, bread that was not baked by a commercial baker for selling. And in the absence of a Jewish baker, one can be lenient and one can uh, buy bread from a non-Jewish baker. According to the Ramor and according to Ashkenazi customs, Pas Akum evolved to becoming a conditional gzera, which becomes community sensitive and where communities can choose based on the circumstances to either accept or reject the Xera or accept part of the Xera and reject part of the Xera, depending on their circumstances. And the Darke Tshuva, a great compiler of the, 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 the Munkacher Rebbe, who compiled 
a, 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 a an encyclopedic compendium of opinions on Eurydia cites an opinion here in Kufiud Base that uh, says that the the town of Brody in Poland, their custom was to prohibit pas Occum throughout the year, except for one day. And that was the day after Pesach. That while the Jewish bakeries, the kosher bakeries were setting up again, and they were clearing out and getting getting their, their bread ready for the day after Pesach, the Jewish community of Brody was permitted to purchase their bread from the non-Jewish bakers in town. So, so flexible and so fluid is this gzera amongst the Ashkenazi communities that we find that even aspects of the gzera may have been adopted or shed according to necessity. We also find that uh, the Arizal maintained a strict prohibition never to eat pasakum, any bread that was baked by a non-Jew, regardless of the circumstances. And that was based on more uh, es esoteric uh, esoteric concerns. But strictly speaking, the halacha would be polarized in this way, according to Ashkenazim and Svardim, where Svardim would be very much like the Mechaber, that there is a, a narrow, very narrow uh, leniency in paspalta, b'mokum she'en palta Yisrael motzui, one has to be desperate, and only then it can come from a commercial source. Whereas Ashkenazim would be more flexible and more fluid, and each community that sets up, even in the future, if new communities were to set themselves up outside of the, the Jewish, metro, um, Jewish metropolitan areas, and those communities were struggling for bread, that there may be room for them to purchase bread from a non-Jewish baker. And in those communities as well, uh, in amongst Ashkenazi communities as well, it becomes a lot easier to find leniencies for specialized breads that sometimes due to uh, nutritional concerns, some breads may be fortified or some government breads may be, uh, may be uh, more either or, or less refined or they may be uh, for health reasons and for uh, digestive reasons a lot, a lot easier to cope with than some of the private bakeries, in which case there would be more room for leniency for those who needed it. But that's something to discuss with one's role at a personal personal level. It just uh, just to to demonstrate how wide the leniencies can go when one is actually desperate. And uh, bread, being the the staff of life, is a uh, a necessity that one has to think twice about uh, whether it's lechumra or lekula, whether it's adopting or whether it's shedding adopting leniencies. So hopefully this discussion provided a bit of background to the origins and the evolution of this gzeira of Pas Okum and to a bit of the nature of gzeira itself and how gzeira finds its audience and how the gzeiras not only shape the communities, but how the communities and uh, communal dem uh, demographics shape the gzeiras uh, of Chazal as well, which uh, is an interesting subject how the Chachomim, in their great wisdom, 
were here to protect the Jewish people, but not at the cost of the Jewish people. So in the uh, in conclusion, like we've uh, at this time of year where we uh, we ponder and we mourn over the loss of the base of Mikdash, but at the back of our minds, as we are davening for the rebuilding of the third base of Mikdash, which will be speedily, please God, in our time, we also know that the Chachomim in the Gomorrah have told us that Hashem resides within the Arba Amosha Halocha, that the light of Hashem and the greatness of the Torah resides within the realm of the Halocha, which regulates and liberates, but at the same way takes the Jewish people into consideration as well for our survival spiritually and physically. May we merit to see the Beis Amigdash speedily in our days. Thank you for, for listening. Thank you for your participation. Wishing you all a good week and uh, a good Chodesh.